Genesis chapter 9, and uh, I'm just going to read one verse to you. Genesis 9 and 28. And if you're there, let the church say amen. Genesis 9 and 28. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. And Noah lived after the flood 300 and 50 years. I'm going to read it one more time. And Noah, I know some of you are thinking about the 350 years. And Noah lived after the flood. That's what I'm here to tell you tonight. Noah lived after the flood. Noah lived after the storm. Noah lived after he had been tossed to and fro. Noah lived when he'd been beat half to death. Somebody turn to your neighbor and tell him tonight, I got a feeling you're going to make it. There is life after the flood. There is life after the flood. God, thank you for your precious word tonight. Thank you for your precious people. I'm asking you to speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. Let the name of Jesus above all else be glorified in this house. I pray tonight, God, that your name would be lifted high. And I pray tonight, God, that when we walk out of this place, we will know that we have been with the Lord. And we give you the thanks for it in Jesus' mighty name. And let the church say amen. Turn to somebody close to you and tell them there is life after the flood. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Now, the word of the Lord tells us that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man comes. If you want to know what it's going to be like when the Lord comes back, I believe that the scripture gives us a beautiful preview into that, that in my mind is as descriptive as anything described in the scripture when it comes to time periods. Because he said, as it was not only in the days of Noah, but as it was in the days of Lot. It was a time where they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. It was a time basically where the people of the earth had no concern but themselves. It was a time in the earth where people weren't really worried about what was going on with their neighbor. They just worried about who was going to party with them that night. It was a time in the earth where sin was running rampant. And uh, it was so bad at one point that the Lord started trying to figure out if he should even repent because he made man. Now that's pretty heavy. His prized possession, the apple of his eye. And uh, we know God don't make mistakes, but he started questioning his own plan. When it said he repented, we, we know it doesn't mean the same thing as it does when you and I repent because God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. But understand, when it said that the Lord was repenting that he had even made man, the Lord was questioning, what in the world is wrong with these people? This is not the plan that I had for them. This is not what I wanted them to look like. Now, I know that if you want to find bad news and negative news, you can find it right now. I have had to uh, guard my mind over the last couple of days because there is such terrible news everywhere and it's hard, it's hard to look anywhere and not find it. But I want to tell you that we're living in a time that is as it was in the days of Noah. It's a time that if you don't like your fellow man, you just wipe them out. If you don't, when it said they were married, given in marriage, if you don't like your wife, you just go find another one. No matter what it does to your family, no matter what it does to your children, if you don't like your husband, just go get you another one. It doesn't matter 
what, what it means. You just do whatever you want to do. Somebody say, be happy. It's the happy doctrine. It's what everybody wants. They just, they're just looking for happiness. And uh, when they can't find happiness in their yard, they start looking for some greener grass. But if I could preach to this society, I would, I'd preach first and foremost the gospel. But if I could impart any wisdom to this society, I would like to tell some of these people that feel like the grass is greener somewhere else. When you do the same thing to that grass that you've been doing to yours, it's going to die too. It's not going to fix it because you find a greener yard. If you kill this grass, you're going to kill that grass. Come on. And uh, I, we got people that are, that are looking for the perfect church and they're looking for the perfect job. And, and what does it mean when you're looking for perfection? You're looking for the place that you can be the happiest. And uh, you're looking for the places that make you the happiest. And uh, the truth of the matter is that people are trying to find happiness in things outside of themselves. And you're never going to make yourself happy by someone else's actions in your life. You're never going to find more happiness in life because your job makes you happier. Because at the end of the week when you've had a hard week, you're going to find out that job was like your last job. And when you have to work to get a paycheck, it's not a blast, right? And, and uh, America was built on people who got up and went to jobs they didn't like. And, and prosperity has given this message to people that if you do what you love, you never have to work a day in your life. Well, that's not true because I love pastoring. I do. I love, what, I love what I do. I thank God for it. I thank the Lord for every job that I've ever had. I don't think I ever had a job that I hated. Uh, when I waited tables, there were parts of it I didn't like, and there were parts of it that was okay. I loved the people part. I hated bussing tables. I couldn't stand picking up plates with food on it <laughs> that other people's mouth had been on. And then you go back and see what a lazy dishwasher does, and you're like, that fork that you just ate with at a restaurant... Don't even think about it. Just be sure when they wash them cups, it's hot, hot, hot. Come on now. But I'm saying to you, I don't care how much you like or love what you're doing, you do have to work. It's tough. And anything worth having, you're going to have to work for. But the Lord sent a man by the name of Noah. And he told him, he said, look. I want you to build for me an ark. But the ark is for your family. It's for the saving of your family. Now you can believe this how you want to. I believe the dimensions of the ark uh, for Noah that God gave him was enough for him, his family, and the animals. I don't believe that the intention of Noah's ark was for all of lost humanity. I believe that the Lord was giving them an opportunity to see what a man was doing for his family and perhaps to build their own ark. But I'm going to walk you all through a little something here. This week I was standing in Lowe's and I watched some people walking through Lowe's and you could tell the people that's been doing it for a long time because they look tired, they look weary. This poor fella came walking through. The, the, uh, the knees of his britches were absolutely destroyed. He had some kind of dust and grout or something all over him. It looked to me like he was buying a bag of mortar. So I don't know if he's a mason or what he does. But I looked over at Bishop and I said, that poor fella looks tired. He just looked tired. It's hard work to build something. I'm fixing to preach to you in here tonight. It's hard work to build something. It's hard work to build a family. It's hard work to build a church. Come on. It's hard work to build self-worth. It's hard work to do whatever you're going to do. But the enemy will lie to you and tell you that there's always an easier way. But I want to tell you this tonight, and I want this to get settled in your heart. There was no other way for Noah. There was no other way. Can I preach this tonight? 
There was no other way for Noah. For Noah, it was either build the ark or die in the flood. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm here to preach to you. Some people have misconstrued the idea of what mercy looks like. They look at the judgment of God when it came and he flooded the earth and they said, that's God's a God of judgment. He, there's no way he would do that. He's a God of mercy. I don't think we understand what mercy is. Mercy was there at the beginning when it told Noah, this is what you're going to build and then you're going to tell other people that the rain's coming. That's mercy. That's how mercy works. Mercy says there's a day coming that you're going to have to reckon with. There's a day coming that you're going to have to deal with. And if you're not prepared when that day comes, Woo! I'm dealing with a tough crowd tonight. I was on the phone with another pastor today, and he started talking to me. He said, no, it's so funny. When other preachers start talking about it, they get, they're afraid they're going to they're cross theological swords with you or something. He's like, no, man, I don't know where you stand pre-mid or post. Or, uh, you know, I, don't, I don't know how you feel about the tribulation or whatever. And he's like, oh, pre-qualifying. All, I, don't, now, I don't know exactly how you feel about it, but I, but I said, let me tell you how I feel about it, brother. I want to be ready. That's how I feel about it. I want to be ready. I'm not giving you a vague answer, but I'm telling you this. I don't care how good they are and how much eschatology they've studied. I'm going to make you a promise. I've got strong stance on it. I know how I feel about it. But there's not a man in this earth that would stand flat-footed with a gun to his head and say, all right, make your decision right now. Is he coming pre-mid or post-tribulation? I may be wrong, but that's my opinion. I don't think there's too many men that could actually just stand up and say, I know without a doubt, and if I'm wrong, you take my life. But I'm going to tell you, this is what I do know. I hope he saves us from the wrath that's to come. I hope he does. But there's a lot of folks that's going to be surprised on Judgment Day. Because they, they, they wonder how in the world could a God of mercy send somebody to hell. And that's, why they're, that's how you know they're messed up. They're asking the wrong questions. And they're asking them the wrong way. Can I just be clear tonight? God don't send people to hell. God, God does not send people to hell. That's not how God works. As a matter of fact, if you want to read the greatest love story that's ever been, God robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. So we don't have to go to hell. Come on, I'm preaching to you tonight. The Lord made a way of escape for us so that we don't have to be lost. And he didn't wait for me to get it all together before he did it. The Bible said that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. So the Lord sent a man. That the world looked at and said, you're a looney tune. You're crazy. What's that you're building? It's an ark. What's it for? It floats in water. Where are you going to get water, you big dummy? What's wrong with you? And this is what they saw. Noah didn't go to Lowe's to get his lumber. They saw a man that every day, him... And his sons walked off into the forest and cut down trees one at a time. Brought it back into the camp. Well, I don't know. That's a long time to build a boat. It'd take you 100 years to build one like that. Cut down every single tree. Plane down every piece. Be sure it's just right. Then store all that lumber until it's put together and it's all right. Hey, I'm talking about some gopher wood now. Cutting it down, making it happen. People look at it and say, ah, that's too much work. The way you people live is too much work. I don't know why you feel like you got to have so much church. That's too much work. But I want to tell you something, precious people of God. When the first raindrop fell, somebody said it's worth it. I don't want that much work. I don't want to be that invested. I'm telling you tonight, maybe, maybe there's some people that have room for gray in their life. But where I'm at right now, I don't have any room for gray. 
I don't have any room for in between. I'm as black and white as I've ever been. And this is what I made up in my mind. You're either saved or you're lost. You're either in or you're out. You're either sold out or you sold out. Come on, can I preach to you tonight? There will be nobody. You mark it down. If you have a chance to look at your notes when you get to heaven, you mark it down. The pastor St. Clair was right. There will be nobody that makes it to heaven who gave it a half-hearted shot at getting there. The only people that are going to make it when we get there are the people that decided I'm going to do whatever I have to do as long as it takes. If I've got to take my family to the woods every day and cut down another tree, another tree, another tree, another tree, and it don't feel like you're making any headway at all. It don't feel like you're getting anything done. I promise you there's some days that feel like you're going further back than you are forward. But every day that we're moving one day closer to the of the Lord I feel more strongly about it than I ever have I'm going to do whatever I have to do to be ready I've had days and I'm not saying this for pity I mean it sincerely I've had seasons in the last 25 years of my life where it feels like you take two steps and you lose four you with me Deal with people, love people, try to help people, think they're just about to get a breakthrough, and then they get broke down. The pressures of life are great. Sometimes I feel like a broken record, but I've got to preach to you what's on my heart tonight because I believe it's on the heart of God, and you listen to what I'm telling you. It's not going to get any easier to live for God the closer we get to the coming of the Lord. It's not going to get any easier to stand. Come on, I know what I preached on Sunday night, but I feel this echo in my spirit tonight. Somebody needs to hear what I'm telling you. The closer we get, the hotter it's going to get. The closer we get, the more pressure there's going to be. You're not going to make up your mind when the rain starts falling that you're going to build the ark. You've got to make up your mind tonight that as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I feel, I feel like we're living in a time as it was in the days of Noah. That Noah was told of the Lord. That it's coming. You know, it takes faith to respond to things that God asks of us when you've never seen any evidence. That's how Noah made it into Hebrews, the 11th chapter, Face Hall of Fame. He wasn't responding to evidence, he was responding to a word. I was in prayer today and I felt the Spirit of the Lord ask me this question the way the Lord deals with me, it wasn't an audible voice. But I have times when I know the Lord's asking me questions by impression. And I got to thinking about that technically, if, if you look at it, and, and I don't mean this to cross theological swords with anybody at all, but everybody's always preaching that in the last days God's going to pour His Spirit out. I, honestly, if you read the context of Acts, the second chapter, Peter said, this is that. He said, this is that which was pro spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit. My point to you is that God did pour his spirit out. And the last days started at Pentecost. Are you with me? I'm talking about they came out of the upper room and they said, what is wrong with these people? Are they drunk? And Noah said, uh, uh, Peter said, I got too many characters. Peter said, this is that which was spoken. In other words, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. That in the last days, somebody say the last days. The spirit of God being poured out on the day of Pentecost was in my opinion, the beginning of the last days. I don't believe that God is going to pour out any more Holy Ghost than He's already poured out. 
I believe that all the Holy Spirit that's going to be poured out has already been poured out. The question is whether or not we're open to receive what's been poured out. And so I felt this question in prayer today since we've been preaching now for nearly 2,000 years that we're in the last days. You read the epistles. They talked about some dark stuff that was coming, especially Timothy. Paul told him about some perilous times. Somebody say dangerous. They were talking about the days that we're living in right now, then. And the Lord asked me, he said, how many sermons would somebody have to hear about the coming of the Lord before they stop believing that it's true? How long would you have to be around an atmosphere like we're living in right now where the presence of the Lord, powerful meetings, preaching that stirs your soul? How long does it take somebody to get so disconnected from the reality uh, of God's prophetic timeline that you finally just say, you know, I've heard it so many times that I, I, I just don't, I don't believe it anymore. That's how you backslide. And I'm going to tell you how this works. You don't have to ever say it for God to know how you feel about it. Because when we start playing games with God, we're already showing Him that we don't take it as serious as He told us we should. Oh boy, it's tough in here tonight. I mean, Lord... I haven't seen any evidence. There hadn't been a single drop of rain. How dumb do I feel carrying this lumber every day? How silly do I feel carrying this lumber every day? And now, now, now I've got this thing partially built over here. And I got these boys over here mixing this mud up pitch. And, and, and I'm embarrassed. Because now we're just trying to preserve this. And I've been hearing this lately. I'm telling you, I've been hearing this. It's, it's eating up my spirit. That you Pentecostals are just trying to preserve something that's old. I'm going to tell you that Noah didn't just build. He preserved for over 100 years. He preserved what he was building. Are you hearing me? But you guys are just guarding something old-fashioned. You got that right because I don't want anything that's new-fashioned. I'm telling you, this world that we're living in right now, every day of my life, I realize it's got less and less and less that's appealing to me. I can't even imagine it. I don't know if you've seen recently, and there's people in here that know way more about this than I do. Some of you have seen it. You've been part of it, whatever. But I got on this deal the other day praying, praying for people. There's a, there's a man that lives in Philadelphia that drives through the streets of Philadelphia videoing the people that are being so affected by the drug epidemic in Philadelphia. I mean, it's, it's, it's just heartbreaking. I have wept and cried. Just people doubled over, laying, don't know if they're dead or alive, don't. Don't know anything, and I, I, I looked at this this uh, little, little lady. He drove by. She was dressed in normal clothes. And I thought, man, I, I wonder if she went to work this morning, and then went and found 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 her fix this afternoon. Doubled over, hands dragging the ground, and I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, that's that's somebody's daughter. Are you hearing me tonight? That's somebody's son. There's somebody at home right now saying, where's, where's my baby? There's a husband at home saying, where's my wife? There's kids at home saying, I, I don't know where my daddy is. He's been missing for three weeks. And people can look at this and, and, and all the drugs that are coming across the, the border and the chaos and I, it's, it's insane. They look at it and say, oh, those people just want to be that way. Brothers and sisters, 
Every one of them that you see is a soul that if we don't let them know, the rain's going to start pouring. I understand you don't get to where you are without making choices, but I'm here to tell you, I know the way of escape. I understand that the things that happen in my life oftentimes are a product of the choice that I make. But I want to tell you tonight, you can still choose Jesus. I don't care where you are tonight. You may be watching online and you may be backslid and separated from God. But it don't have to stay this way. I'm telling you, you can come out of this and God can turn it around for his glory. I've come on this Wednesday night to not preach you a pretty sermon. I've not come here tonight to be hermeneutically and homiletically perfect. I'm here to reach for somebody tonight that's in the pig pen of hell. And I'm telling you it's time to come home. I'm, I, I have to be so careful. I don't want to make personal references, but my family and I were affected several years ago by fentanyl. And uh, I told my dad that if there was a way at that time that we could have captured what our family had to see, if I could. If I could capture that, and I would never do that to anybody, but if I could capture what I had to see and just take it to young people and hold it up to them and say, baby, it's going to rain. You hear me? It's going to rain. You better get ready. Build your hopes on things eternal. And hold to God's unchanging hand. When your journey is completed, if to God you have been true, fair and bright your home in glory. Your enraptured soul shall view. I would rather live my life with the world pointing at me and telling me I'm crazy and be on the ark when the rain starts falling. Oh, God, help me tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to preach to somebody in the Holy Ghost tonight and tell you that there will be life after the flood. When the flood's over, there's something that's going to happen. When the flood is over, there's something that's going to transpire. You cannot just live your life and think that when the flood comes, that's the end of it. There is life after the flood. Noah wasn't just building an ark because the flood was coming. God told him to build an ark because there was life after the flood. Can I preach to you tonight? I'll be honest. I feel like it's flooding right now. I do. Just being honest. I don't say this to be disrespectful in any way, but I've never seen more hopelessness in my life. I, I, never. I'm talking about in, in cities that I always felt safe to walk the streets in. I, 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 I had a situation just a few weeks ago, downtown Indianapolis. I won't go into the details of it, but I walked outside of a restaurant, broad daylight, middle of the day. And this guy rolled up on a bicycle and tried to start something with me right there on the sidewalk. And I, I looked in his eyes and I thought, God have mercy. 
I mean, I'm being honest with you. I wanted to hate on somebody. I did. I, want, I wanted to be so mad that I couldn't see straight. But folks, I'm going to tell you. This world needs to know that there's life after this flood. I know that some of you thought tonight when I started preaching about life after the flood, I was going to preach about the prosperity when you survive the storm. But I've come to preach to you tonight about the life after the flood. That the decisions you make right now are going to affect the outcome for your life when this is over. I've stood at too many caskets in my ministry with questions on my mind. Come on now. I've had to stand and be creative with sermons on what you say to comfort people and, 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 and what you could possibly say to bring comfort to the room. But I'm telling you, there comes a time in your life where you've got to decide for yourself if you're willing to pay the price and make it or if you're just going to do whatever you're going to do and take your chances when the rain falls. But I'm here to tell you that every single man and every single woman that lost their life in the flood when the rains came down could stand and testify to you today. There is life after the flood. Life after the flood. What I'm saying to you tonight is the complete antithesis of what I've been told by other religious people. Some of you may have heard me share the story in times past about the time that the Jehovah's Witness came and wanted to have a Bible study with us. <laughs> that was fun. Me and a friend of mine met them at Steak and Shake. They came over and wanted to have a Bible study with us. I welcomed it openly. Would love to discuss it with you. Let's talk about it. And so we started discussing some things. And I asked them the question. I said, how do you feel about eternity? I said, I'm, I'm hearing you talk about paradise. And I'm not going to bore you with all the details. I said, but. You believe there's 144,000 and those spots are already spoken for. Is that right? And they were like, yeah, absolutely. I said, so where's your place? And they said, well, paradise, of course. I said, paradise, wonderful. I said, what happens to me if I don't make it to paradise? They said, well, you cease to exist. I said, excuse me? They said, yeah. I said, so... When I die, it's just over. They said, yes, sir. I said, then why are you here? They looked at me funny. I said, no, I'm being serious. I said, you're, you're beautiful young ladies. Why are you here? Weren't you doing whatever you want to do? Who twisted your arm and made you come be a witness So that on the day you die, you just go to the ground and that's it. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to preach to you tonight. I ain't put no icing on this cake. If you think it's over when you die, you are sadly mistaken. It's just getting started. You're not going to draw your last breath and that just be the end of the story. I'm here to preach on this Wednesday night. There is life. There's life. There's life after the flood. This week, there have been thousands that have gone on to meet their creator. And there are some that have found out this week that God is not who they've been told he was. Come on, I'm not being rude. I'm not, I'm not here to be judgmental. I'm not. I'm going to tell you, there, there, there's some folks who found out this week there's more to eternity than getting to paradise and getting 70 virgins. 
I'm not preaching to an apostolic church tonight. I had a preacher call me today. He told me that he's, de- he's dealing with a backslidden girl in his town that has married a, a Mormon. And he said she's torn in between, don't know what to do because she's married this guy. And now he, he said, I kind of see what the Bible's saying and I kind of see what they're saying. I said, brother, you can't have it both ways. He said, well, they're, they, they're saying that it's not, it's not a new testament. It's not like a new book. It's another testament. I said, well, I'm saying to you that Jude said to contend for the faith that was once delivered. I said, God is not going to deliver the faith and then say, no, that wasn't enough. Let me get another faith. I said, let me, let me tell you how this doctrine starts with a man and an angel. Does that sound familiar to you? Because the apostle said, I don't care if it's a man or an angel. If they come preaching any other gospel, then that which we have preached unto you. I, I, I know I'm preaching strong tonight, but I can't help it. My heart is vexed. My spirit is vexed. And I'm going to tell you tonight, you can listen to the words of of fake and phony and empty religion if that's what you want to. But you're not going to die and have other people get baptized in order to put you into paradise. I'm here to tell you tonight the words of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that except a man be born again of water and the spirit, he cannot see or into the kingdom of heaven I'm here to preach for you tonight I'm here to reach for you tonight because there's life after the flood oh God let's lift our hands hallelujah Hallelujah. There's a lot about eternity that I just don't understand. There's a lot about eternity that I don't know. I've had people ask me hard questions in my, in my pastoral counseling and, and meetings. And, Pastor, what happens to somebody? What, 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 what happens to them? Look, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot about eternity that I don't understand. I think a lot of it has to do with time. And that once we cross over into eternity and time ceases to be no more, I'm giving you an opinion here. I feel like those who have gone on before us, that they're not just standing there waiting on us to come. Like if they, if they died a hundred years ago in the faith, I don't believe that in their world they're standing there for a hundred years saying... Come on. I feel like time shall be no more is what the word said. That time shall be no more. In his, in his presence, time is not what it is here. And so I, I believe if, if I could just, this is the only way I know how to explain what I'm saying to you. That if they, if they crossed over a hundred years ago, and I cross over today, that we're going to feel like we crossed over together. Am I making any sense? It's going to be like, we're going to do this. We're, we'll make it happen. But I'm going to tell you, if we could have somehow put a recording, Bishop, oh God, help me tonight. If we could have somehow put a recording of the first man or woman that drowned in the flood. And what they were doing. Whatever that picture looks like. The moment that their life here ceased. If they were somehow standing on the other side of eternity. And the only biblical biblical reference we have at all. Is written in parabolic form about the rich man Lazarus. 
But it's sad that the rich man could see. You with me? And so it makes me wonder if the first man or woman that died in the flood couldn't stand in eternity and see the door closing on that big ark. And if we could have somehow got a video of that, an audio recording, I'm going to tell you what I believe would have echoed off the portals of eternity. You were right. It was the truth. You were telling the truth, Noah. I believe if we could have listened in, somebody would have been crying out saying, oh, I wish I would have listened. Come on. I believe, I believe somebody... Oh, God. I believe somebody would be screaming, saying, oh, God, why didn't I listen when I had the opportunity? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not here tonight to preach to you a sermon of fear. I'm here to extend to you the mercy of God. And I'm here to preach to you tonight before it's too late that there is life when this is over. I don't believe for one minute. I've had them look me in the eyes and tell me, well, then if I die and go to hell, I'll be there with all my friends and we'll party for eternity. I don't believe it for one minute. I believe it's a place of darkness. I believe it's a place of torment. I believe it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I believe it's a place where your feet will never find a solid foundation. Ten minutes into eternity. Somebody's going to look back this direction. And say, my God. Those judgmental preachers were right. Those hardworking crazy people carrying that wood out of. Out of the forest every day building that ark, Bishop. They were right. Those people dragging their kids to prayer meeting every Thursday night. They were right. I believe. As strongly as I've ever believed it. That you can't believe that there's a heaven. And not believe there's a hell. God help me. I know I risk probably hurting somebody's feelings and, and, and making somebody upset. But I'd rather have somebody come up if, if the Lord lets us do it again. I don't know how eternity's going to be. But I'd, I'd rather somebody walk up and grab my hand in heaven and say, Pastor, thank you. Th- thank you for making me mad. Then I would to have somebody, oh God. Stand before me at eternity and say, why didn't you tell me? You hear what I'm saying tonight? I don't know. I don't know what hell's going to be. But this, this is what I know. Jesus told the story. And yes, it was written in parabolic form. But, but rarely ever in parables did you find certain names. And Jesus told the story about the rich man and Lazarus. He used names. I, I, I don't understand a lot about eternity. But the preview that he gives us, this man said, Is there anybody that you could send to me that could dip their finger in water? And touch my tongue. I mean, how bad does it have to be when you're like, I don't need a bottle. I don't care if they bring me ice cubes. I'm looking for just just somebody that can find a way to stick their finger.
And then we play games with God. And we act like there's, I'm going to tell you what, the rich man testified to this in the scripture. There's life when this is over. And this was his testimony. He said, you go tell my brothers who are still living in the land that it's not too late. You go tell my brothers that they don't want to come here. Brothers and sisters, I've preached hundreds if not thousands of funerals. I don't know how many I've preached. Hundreds of funerals in my life. And I don't mean this to be insensitive, but there's not one thing I can do for those people. If they made it, they made it. If they didn't make it, I can't fix it and I can't change it. But if you're sitting here tonight with breath in your body and if you're watching on that camera tonight, I don't care if you're watching on your phone or your computer or you got YouTube going on a big monitor in your house, I'm here to preach to you before it's too late. There's life after the flood. Pastor, I got a lot of life that I want to live right now. I do too. I got so many things I want to do, but the number one priority on my mind is to tell everybody I can it's not really over when it's over. When it's over, it's just beginning. I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters. You couldn't pay me enough money or give me enough property or possessions to keep me out of the presence of the Lord right now. There's nothing in this world. I want my heart to be open before God. I don't want my spirit to be wrong. I don't want there to be bitterness in me. I don't, want, I don't want to have lies in my spirit. I want to be open and honest before God. I would rather live my life right now before God and say, Lord, I'll carry the weight of, of a little bit of shame because I've made mistakes. Lord, because you can cover that shame and you can help me. You can cleanse me and wash me. I'd rather live with a little bit of shame right now because I made a mistake knowing there's life when this is over. This is why we travel hundreds of thousands of miles. This is why we fly all over the world. This is why we travel all over the United States of America. This is why we're giving ourselves week in and week out. Because there's life when this is over. I'm reaching for somebody tonight. Come on, let the Spirit of God take that hard heart in you. And turn it into a heart of flesh. Let the Spirit of God take that heart of stone in you tonight. And break up the fallow ground where the seed of the Word of God. Oh Lord. I don't care how proud you are. I don't care how big you are. I don't, it, none of that matters. I don't care how much money you're making. We're all going to stand before the same throne. And we're going to be judged by the same Word. And the greatest fear I've ever had in my life is to stand before him and hear him say, depart from me. I'm looking at some people tonight who's going to hear him say, well done. I'm preaching to some people tonight that's going to hear him say, well done. Enter in, thou good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joys of the Lord. Come on, I wish you'd cry out to the Lord right now. Cry out for your family. Cry out for your children. Cry out, cry out, cry out. Lord, I want to be ready. I want to be ready. God, I'm ready to put my preferences aside. I'm ready to put my thoughts and my ideas aside. I'm ready to lay aside my pride and my arrogance, Lord, and just be sure that I'm ready. Whatever the cost, Lord, I want to be ready. Woo! Oh, God, help us tonight. Help us tonight, God.
where will you be? A million years from now. Will you be happy? Will you be singing? While ages roll throughout eternity, I ask this question where will you be where will you be a million years from now will you be happy Will you be singing while ages roll throughout eternity? I ask this question, where will you be? A million years from now Will you be happy? Will you be singing? While ages roll Throughout eternity I ask this question, where will you be while ages roll throughout eternity? I ask this question. Where will you be? Would you just ask the Lord to search your heart tonight? Lord, I want to be ready. I want to be ready, Lord. I want to be ready. So soon it will pass Only what's done For Christ will last Only one chance To do His will So give to Jesus all your days it's the only life that pays when you recall you have but one life only one life so soon it will pass only what's done for Christ is gonna last only one chance to do his will so give to Jesus all your days it's the only 
our hands to the Lord all across this room tonight. Oh God. Hallelujah. I've just come to a place where I'm really, really struggling right now to just go through the motions and have church. I'm telling y'all tonight, I believe we're close. I can't tell you that I believe he's going to come this week and we've got the evidence of it. I can't tell you I believe he's going to come next month, but I can tell you this, he's close enough right now that I'd do whatever I had to do to be ready. And, and, and I know sometimes people, people look at preachers and say, man, y'all just like to scare. Let me ask you just one question tonight, logically. What do I have to gain by scaring anybody? I mean... Is the Lord going to write me a bonus check from heaven because I could preach something to scare people? You understand what I'm saying? There's no motive of personal gain behind a pulpit. You guys are just fear mongers. No, I'm just telling you, there's life when this is over. I don't, I, I don't care what Muhammad said. I don't care what Hare Krishna said. I don't care what Buddha said. I'm going to tell you what Jesus said. He said, the worm dieth not. Can you hear me tonight? God have mercy. I want to be ready. I recall days gone by that I would hear preachers preach sermons like I preached tonight. And you couldn't keep people in their seats. Am I telling the truth? But boy, we're so afraid now when we, when we hear that kind of preaching. Well, if I step out, people are going to think I'm backslid. Well, let them think what they want to think. I'm going to be ready. And I want to take as many of you with me as I can. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's a lot of things I'd like to do with my time. There's a lot of places I'd like to see, things I'd like to do. And people ask me, I, I had a past friend of mine get on me the other day. He said, bro, he said, you and your wife are going to have to chill. He said, you guys, you're doing too much. He said, you got too much on your plate. I'm going to tell you, every mile we're walking right now, Every student that comes to this school, 
every saint that sits on the pews in this church, every sinner that walks through the door, and every backslider that comes home. It's worth it because there's life when this is over. Every time I get up in the dark and leave my family, drive to the Indianapolis airport and get on an airplane, fly, watch the sun come up from 35,000 feet to go preach the gospel somewhere else, it's worth it because there's life when this is over. Come on. I don't, I don't know what somebody would have to say to convince us if the words that we've heard over the last couple weeks haven't convinced us I want you to search your heart tonight what would God have to say to you what would the sermon have to sound like for you to believe that we're this close I want to be ready you want to be ready